Imagine a day at the beach. For all you people in like the Chicago area and all the Great Lake areas, okay, those are lakes. It's not the ocean. So imagine you are at the ocean, you know, where there's salt water. I don't know. There's been people that are like, oh, yeah, the ocean's great. And then you're like, I'm like, what ocean? Because that, that's a lake. That's fresh water. Okay, so I don't know if you need to take some geography classes with Donald Trump or what, but okay, you are at a saltwater ocean beach. Okay, you're standing in there, you're playing around, whatever. The, the water's about chest deep, you're talking to your friend, and you make the big mistake of turning your back to the ocean. Okay, I lived in Hawaii for two years, so I learned do not turn your back to the ocean and there's this is the reason why okay so everything's cool water's kind of like chilling and then suddenly there's this like moment of like okay something's up and then you feel this pull the water starts pulling on your body and you look back and you see this big huge giant wave about to attack you so you like er, you're alert your body's like, holy moly, what do I do next? And you're thinking, uh, I'm going to die. So you either, like a healthy person, you know, like, hey, I, I need to dive under this wave, okay? Or you freak out and you freeze and you, and you let it hit you or you don't dive at the right time. And you're swirling and twirling in the water. You, you can't breathe. You're thinking, when is this going to be over? I'm going to be lost here forever. I'm going to drown. And then, like, suddenly the wave goes away and you're, like, rolling on your stomach, all washed up, and everybody's laughing at you. But you're alive. You're breathing. You're good. You're cool. All right. So that was just my breakdown or my um, metaphorical story explaining what it feels like to have a meltdown. Okay, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about, well, I'm going to be talking a lot about emotional regulation and meltdowns and how to prevent that from happening. On the last episode, I talked about one of my meltdowns at a roller derby game and how dramatic it was for me. Um, and I, I would describe that most meltdowns, if it comes to that point, are kind of like the wave, right? You're just kind of, you have your back to the ocean. You don't really see what's going on because you're like hyper-focused on whatever's going on. And then, you know, the pull is kind of like how the, the timeline goes, okay? So we, we have everything's cool, everything's fine. And then it's kind of like with a roller coaster, we, we have it like the roller coaster is flat and then it starts to go up and you have these early warning signs, right? So the early warning signs are kind of like the pull of the ocean. It's starting to pull and then you get this like, you, when you turn around and look and you see like you're agitated because it's like, oh, okay, um, I don't know what I can do now. You have your loss of control and that's basically when uh, the, the wave hits you. Um, 
Then we have safety management and de-escalation. So once the wave kind of washes away, you, you got to calm yourself down. You kind of realize, hey, I'm all right. I'm alive. I'm okay. And you probably just kind of get out of the water for a while and take a break. And um, after the de-escalation, you kind of go back into that baseline again. Okay, so I hope you kind of see that, like what I'm talking about. I know I used two different metaphors here. The ocean wave, but for those of you who haven't been on an ocean wave, maybe you've been on a roller coaster. And so that's kind of how it goes. It goes prevention, early warning signs, agitation, loss of control, safety management, de-escalation, and alert zone. Oh, and by the way, I'm taking this information from a slideshow that I saw for with the Autism Research Institute. The book that I was reading, um, I'm still reading it. The, the um, chapter is called, you know, Not Broken. And um, it just doesn't go into details enough. So I needed to find more, get more research about emotional regulation. And it's from the Autism Research, it's Research Institute by Dr. C. Mazetsky, Ph.D. All right. So I'm going to try to not say so, like, and whatever a million times. But it's kind of just what I do instead of stuttering. Um, and I'm going to try not to say um. But I can't guarantee any of that. No guarantees. No guarantees. What are the... Like, how do you regulate your emotions? For a lot of people, they learn how to do it in childhood at a really young age. And some people, you know, they still have issues, especially if they've experienced trauma. So a lot of this that I'll be going over can also be helpful for children or even adults that have PTSD and other trauma related experiences that have caused uh, like the emotional regulation issues um, and how you can kind of help out and see the warning signs step by step. The first thing for regulation is prevention. You need to know the person. Everyone is different. So there's not really one system of step one, two, and three of what you need to do to prevent breakdowns or anything or meltdowns. So the first signs you might see from a person could be whining, rocking, a tense body with clenched fists, um, pacing, people saying like saying no, not answering. There might be some silliness or hyperactivity or some avoidance behaviors. Um, I know for me, I, at this point of time, I don't notice. I don't notice the the whole um, early warning signs. Sometimes, sometimes I, I'm I'm getting better at noticing it. And there could be there usually is pacing. There usually is whining or complaining. Um, if I'm mad, I might just not be talking at all, and I might not answer. Um, I, I don't think that for me personally, there's any hyperactivity, but there could be that I'm not aware of. There might be like when I'm at work 
and I'm trying to get my work done and I'm trying to finish an assignment um, that's stressful um, and I might just be like really like, whoo, 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 I'm doing this really fast, da, 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 da. Um, and then suddenly I'm like turned off like I had talked about in the last episode. Um, so I can see that. So you want to look for these warning signs. And that is really important because once the person starts to get agitated, you have the loss of control and you want to prevent the loss of control. Like, try to stop it at the agitation part. You will know that the person is kind of having some emotional dysregulation because you've no, you know them. And so when you look at them, you'll see something that is, you know, they're, they're giving some crazy looks or something. Their facial expressions are different from usual. They're showing the repetitive behavior. They might have an outburst, like emotional outburst of zero to 100. Um, for me personally, I don't really have huge outbursts anymore because I've been trying to like get that under control. I know it's like roller derby. I, I usually just walk away. And, and that's another thing is there's a reaction for withdrawing like they and because they're unable to calm themselves. Um, some people have some self-injury um, or some sort of severe reaction that is more reactive than a normal reaction. And, oh my gosh, I have that a lot. Um, where it's like this big, huge thing. And then when I, like, talking about it, the other person's like, oh, that's, I thought it was a, a worse thing than what you were talking about. I'm like, oh, well, I guess. But... Anywho, those are signs that someone is starting to have some emotional dysregulation. Um, things that contribute to this uh, could be limited language, cognitive rigidity, uh, or lack of flexibility. Um, for me, completing a task is really important. Once I start something, well, getting started is hard enough, but once I get started, I don't want to finish it until it's done. So if I have, if I'm looking over some lesson plans and I have a whole unit with 10 lessons that I need to look over, it's really difficult for me to just stop at lesson two. Like I kind of have to do all 10 lessons. So it makes it really tough for time management and being able to like not to feel overwhelmed because there's just this like need. I have to finish it. I have to do the whole entire thing. Um, and so it's not very flexible thinking. So that's just one example of what cognitive rigidity is. Um, other signs or reasons, lower inhibition, poor abstract reasoning, difficulty reading social and emotional cues, change to emotional stimulus, and then um, genetics. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so we'll go into the triggers now. There are triggers that I know for me personally, I'm just now starting to recognize them in the last six to nine months of like what is triggering me? What is making me feel anxiety? What is making me feel uncomfortable? 
Um, how do I know when I'm feeling uncomfortable? That's another thing. So different triggers could be one communication. Are you giving too many multi-step directions? Can the person express what they need to say? That can be a trigger. Emotional cues. Just like I was saying, sometimes I don't even know like what my feelings are. Um, so it's important to try to label your own feelings um, and self-identify. And if you have problems with that, there's different ways like... Uh, I know for little kids, they might have pictures or whatever that might work for you, but I like to use a color wheel. So the color wheel or the emotion wheel will have like in the center, basic emotions like sad, happy, mad, afraid, and then it'll like branch off into more specific types of emotions of mad or afraid or sad, and then it'll branch off into even more specific ones. So you can at least get down to at least some sort of emotions that you think that you're feeling. Because um, for me, the overwhelming emotions, like there's so many that I have no idea. I just know I don't like it, and it just really sucks. Because um, then, like, you're not able to control it because you don't know what it is. And then you have that flight and fight response going on and you're not able to take cues from others. So it's just this like rapid fire of overwhelming feelings. Um, other triggers could be social, such as self-awareness, maybe rejection, pressure to fit in misperceiving perspectives and loneliness. Ugh, like this has been so much of many triggers for everything in my life. Like I'm, I'm thinking about my work. I'm thinking about roller derby. I'm thinking about my family and yeah, it just sets you off. But other triggers, cognitive processing. There's a lot of black and white thinking, all or nothing type of thinking, um, jumping to conclusions, overgeneralization, and slower processing speed. So for me, there, there's certain things that I process extremely fast um, that my IQ is actually above average in, um, which would be like interpreting patterns and, and things like that. So like I'm really fast at patterns and dissecting things into small little bits. But as far as processing speed for you giving me directions or trying to explain something like that's completely different. That's going to take me a minute to kind of figure it out. Um, do I jump to conclusions? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> and that's been a problem. Um, and it also is something that I'm working on for sure is taking, um, you know, something happens, you have some thoughts, you have some feelings and you have some action. So this is actually something that I've tried with my therapy session before. It's from cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But basically, well, I'll talk about it now. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is about shaping your thoughts and attitudes and connecting them through problem solving and graded exposure. Um, so this is typically for people that have a verbal and cognitive IQ of like higher than 80. 
Um, and this just kind of works with, okay, something happens. Like you see your friend and you wave to them and then they don't wave back. So maybe your automatic thought is, you know, my friend hates me. And then you feel lonely and you feel like bad about it. And then your actions is that you send them a really bad text message about how horrible they are to you and what a bad friend they are. Okay, so that, that's my type of thinking. And it's like the worst case scenario, right? So with CBT, you take it, okay, your friend waves at you. What is another thought that you could have besides that thought? Okay, well, maybe the thought is she didn't see you. Okay, so how do you feel about that? Well, maybe it, it, you feel less dramatic about it, that's for sure. So what could your action be? Well, your action could, could be you text them, say, hey, I saw you at the blah, blah, blah. You know, did you see me or whatever? And then it's over. <laughs> They'll say, oh, I didn't see you or whatever. And it, it kind of like closes it down. It shuts it down, shuts it down. Right. That's our, our whole purpose of shutting. We don't we don't want the craziness to happen because that's just it's a lot. So we want to shut it down. And that's something that I've tried a few times and it works. It really does work. Um, does it and it does it relieve all the anxiety? No, not yet. I'm not at that point, but it does work, I think. Um, let's see, what's the next trigger I can talk about? Oh, the, the change in rigidity. So, um, shifting activities and topics, um, and having anxiety with change. Um, transitions can be really rough. You know, like, if I'm doing one thing at work and then, like, I get really lost in it, right? And then I suddenly I realize, oh, I have one minute and I have to be across the school doing something else. And like, I freak out like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? And it's just like that change of like, now I need to go and do something else. I have to stop this. I can't do all 10 lessons right now. It's OK that I can't do all 10 lessons. I can get back to it. And um just that anxiety of like, I don't know, no, being able to move on and, and be know that you can go back and everything's going to be fine. Um, and then last triggers, are, of course, are sensory. So some people have hyper sensitivities and some people have hypo sensitivities. So with hyper, like it's you can, you ha it's like you have super senses, right? You can hear uh, a pin drop. I don't know who can hear a, a pin drop really, but like for me, it's hearing my neighbor's TV or hearing something, someone tapping a pencil from across the cafeteria. Um, uh, and, and how that's just like so loud and so annoying and you can't stop thinking about it. Right. And then you have hyposensitivities, which is like, I guess, I can compare that to a lot of like maybe heat or something. So maybe you can touch something really hot, take a really hot shower and not realize that it's actually way too hot to be showering in. Um, 
and so it, it's just kind of numb like you don't feel it and so those are different things that can trigger these meltdowns and emotional dysregulation going back to the cognitive behavioral therapy I'm thinking of doing a group where it's called DBT, which is like dialectical or whatever behavior. It's similar to CBT, except the focus is on emotional and social aspects and such as uh, validation and relationships. I think it started for people with personality, borderline personality disorder. And... Um, I have a, a group session that I want to sign up for that's going to start in mid-January. So I'm really excited about that um, because I, I've been looking for ways to connect with people. And if I can find other people that have similar concerns as me, then it, I think that's a good way to try to find a connection. But let's try to wrap this up here. Um, how can you as a person on the outside seeing somebody that's having some sort of emotional dysregulation what can you do to help them okay so we have a couple of things here we have one divert the stress give them some space let the behavior go if it's not important remove the stimulus redirect to the next thing like having a visual schedule or moving on to the next thing that's on the list of things to do, a visual prompt, sensory option, or simplify the option. Um, and, and those all sound pretty good to me. Those, those things, those sound pretty smart to me. Things to avoid, like don't do this. Do not... Ask a bunch of open-ended or lots of questions. Do not ask the person how they feel. They, may, they might not know how they feel. They might not know all the answers to those things. I know with me, like, um, okay, so I had had a car accident one time, and I went to the ER to check for a concussion, and the doctor's like, or the nurse is like, what is your stress level? And I hate it, or what is your pain level from zero to 10? I hate it when they ask you that, because I don't know. Compared to what? Zero, I'm doing cartwheels and like backflips. 10, meaning I'm like dying tomorrow. Five being what? I'm, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, really hard for me to pick a number. I don't know what it is compared to what. So don't ask me those questions because <laughs> um, it just kind of makes you feel more stressed. You, you also don't want to tell someone to calm down. Isn't that the worst when someone's like really mad at, or starting to get out of control and someone's like, calm down. Oh my gosh, that makes me even madder. Don't tell someone to calm down. That's that's not what you need to. It's not helpful. Um, also, especially if you're working with children, do not demand eye contact. Don't demand someone to look at you. I've done that before 
as an adult working with children because I want to make sure that they're paying attention to me, that they're listening to me. Instead of asking for eye contact, ask them to give you a nod or something or hold up one finger if you understand. Um, eye contact is not the best way to make sure you're getting someone's attention. Um, you can you try, try not to talk the person out of routine and definitely don't get into a debate. But what you do want to do is you want to be calm, use their name, validate their emotions, say something like, I can see you seem upset. Can I help you with blank? Okay, label what you think the emotion or what's going on with them and ask how you can help. Um, be positive and collaborative. So during the de-escalation, okay, so this person's freaking out, they're crying, they're whatevering, um, and you're trying to calm them down, they're starting to calm down. So this is the de-escalation phase. Make sure you're saving face, like say, that, mu that must have been really tough. Let's make it easier next time. Um, you also want to let time pass, um, offer a diversion slowly. So if there's other things that, you know, we talked about that the person can do, have them do it slowly, allow them to like rejoin the group. Um, and at that point in time, do not talk about consequences because perhaps that person is still processing their information and they're not completely de-escalated and that could just kind of rev it back up and go backwards. Okay, so emotional regulation has to do with first awareness. Um, for me personally, it's about self-awareness and monitoring myself. For people around me, it's about being around me enough times to kind of know uh, what's typical and what's not typical behavior of me. Um, be, breathe, try to slow it down. Um, see, change, um, change the action and de-distract. So those are all different ways to try to deal with emotional regulation from the outside and inside. And, um, I hope that that's helpful. I know that it's been helpful for me learning about it. Um, cause I think that not only can people use this for like people with neurological issues, but also with just about anyone in general. It's important to have those people skills. Um, all right. Well, that was fun, and I kept it under 30 minutes, so yay. And um, everyone have a good day.